And let's have a moment of prayer as we have God's word open in front of us. God of all truth, give us listening ears and attentive minds and receptive hearts as we listen to your word together. Amen. Daily life is the painful reality of starvation, AIDS, and violence. There is no food on the shelves, there are no medicines in the hospitals, and no one can afford to buy from the drugstores. We have become a nation of beggars who spend more time looking for food than working. Most employees' monthly wages would not be enough to meet their transportation budget to get to and from work. State schools have lost almost all qualified teachers. Most factories have closed down. There has been a dramatic increase in the number of elderly destitutes and children living on the street. Retirees are the most affected because over the last 10 years, they have lost all their savings and pension benefits. The government has banned voluntary organisations from distributing critical food and medical aid. More and more people are getting killed and beaten up in both rural and urban areas. The general population has become hopelessly fearful This terror campaign by the ruling party has claimed hundreds of lives. Well, that was written in 2008 about life in Zimbabwe by a Christian pastor. And he adds, over the last five years, I have preached often from the book of Habakkuk. We're getting lots of practice in living the life of faith to which this prophet points us. Well, not only those who are living in such desperate circumstances, but we ourselves can often find ourselves asking the kinds of questions that troubled this prophet Habakkuk. So let's this morning set out on a journey with him, a journey that will take us from frustration to faith, from worry to worship, from sadness and regret to rejoicing. Now, because our journey will take us three weeks when we are taking an indirect route... Uh, Let's just have a sneak preview of the beginning and the end of Habakkuk's journey, the one that he invites us to take with him. If you'll just glance at chapter 1 and verse 2, he complains, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Compare that with the close of chapter 3, where he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Well, that's quite a journey, isn't it? From beginning to end. And we're going to take that journey with Habakkuk. The year is roughly 600 BC. And the place is Judah. The ten northern tribes of Israel had been overrun by the Assyrians over a hundred years previously. And now the two southern tribes of Judah are limping on as a vassal state. The previous king, Josiah, had implemented many reforms, including a rediscovery of the law of God, God's law, the Torah. But his good work had been undone by his wicked son, Jehoiakim, who was now on the throne. And so the current situation is described in verses 3 and 4. Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. That's the situation. And we find Habakkuk, the prophet, confronted with that situation in his nation. Going through a process that begins in this chapter and the first verse of chapter 2, goes from listening, excuse me, from questioning to listening, to disputing, to watching. Let's follow him as he begins that journey. First of all, questioning. Chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Because his main problem, his major problem, uh, is not so much the state of the nation, but the fact that God isn't doing anything about it. So therefore he complains in verses 2 and 3, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not answer. I've been asking and asking and asking, praying and praying and praying. No answer comes. I cry out to you, violence. You do nothing about it. You do not save. You do not deliver. So his complaint is against God. We ourselves might ask similar questions of God, especially those questions that begin with the word, why? Why do the good suffer and the wicked seem to get away scot-free? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why, when we try our best for God, does everything always seem to go wrong? Why, after we have prayed so often for peace, do we still see so much violence? Why, when I've longed for my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, my friend to come to faith in Christ, do they seem further away than ever? Why, after praying for spiritual renewal for so many years, do God's people see the nation going seemingly from bad to worse? But in the midst of all this complaining and all of this sadness and regret and indeed anger, 
there's something really good and really healthy going on here. Because Habakkuk is being real with God. And you know, we need to be real with God as well. Let's be thankful that we have a God to whom we can take our complaints and our questions and our concerns. We don't need to complain about the boss. We can complain to the boss. And we might indeed, if we listen, start listening, realize that he's beginning to respond to our questions and concerns. That's certainly what Habakkuk found because he moves from questioning in verses 2 and 4 to listening in verses 5 to 11. Yes, God is beginning to answer. God is beginning to speak to him. And God begins to say this in verses 5 and following. I'm going to do something. And you can uh, sense Habakkuk's pulse quickening. You're going to do something at last. God says, I'm going to do something in your own days. Well, that's great. That's brilliant. You're not going to have to wait until some future generation. You can do something now while I'm still alive and I'll get to see it. God says, I'm going to do something in your own days. I'm going to do something unbelievable. That's fantastic. I'm going to do something in your own days. I'm going to do something unbelievable. I'm going to raise up, yes, yes, a prophet, a king. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And just in case, God seems to be saying to Habakkuk, just in case you don't know, let me describe the Babylonians to you. Verses 6 and following. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth, who seize dwelling places not their own, a feared and dreaded people, a law to themselves, promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk, Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They come all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings. They scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. And so it goes on and on and on. Isn't that great? I'm going to send the Babylonians to you to sort you out. Isn't that fantastic? Well, even here, there is something very significant going on in what the Lord is saying to Habakkuk. But, because God is saying, I am the Lord of the nations. This God who seems in Habakkuk's mind to be unable or unwilling to control little Judah is in fact pulling the strings of the mightiest nation in the known world. The biggest bully on the block. Think of the forces today that are most antagonistic towards the good news of Jesus. The work of the kingdom of God, militant Islam, strident atheism, unprincipled commercialism. Can God use these very forces for his own good purposes? You bet he can. And this scripture, scripture asserts 
as much. So Habakkuk is listening to what God is about to do. And there is something there for Habakkuk and us to get our heads around. Yes, God really is in control of the nations. They're not actually out of control after all. So Habakkuk has done some listening, but he's not particularly happy with what he's just heard. So he moves on now, verses 12 to 17, to disputing with God. He has questioned and listened, and now he's going to dispute what God has just said. If you glance in particular with me at verse 13, Habakkuk is saying as much as this, back to the Lord. So your plan is to use Babylon to judge Judah. You're going to let the more wicked sort out the less wicked. And you think that's fair, do you? You think that's the right thing to do. You think that's the kind of thing that a good and righteous God would do. Habakkuk is not very happy. And the interesting thing, it seems to me, that's going on here is that good doctrine seems to make the problem even worse. If Habakkuk had bad doctrine, if he believed God to be fickle and capricious or remote and uncaring, there would be less of a problem. Just say, well, God is just like one of those gods of ancient Rome or ancient Greece, uh, can't really make up his mind, has good moods and bad news, uh, b- bad moods. That's just what he's like. Stuff happens. But Habakkuk has good doctrine. He knows, verses 12 and 13, he knows that God is eternal. He is from everlasting. He knows that God is holy. He calls him, my God, my holy one. He knows that God is faithful to his covenant. He says, we will not die. And he knows that God is pure, too pure to look on evil. And that's why he finds it so hard to understand what God is up to. He says, God, I know what you're like. So please help me to understand what you're getting up to. But Habakkuk, once again, is on to something really important. He's clinging on to what he knows to be true about God. You know, it's often good to show God his own handwriting. To say, look, here in your word, you have told me that you are eternal, that you are holy, that you are faithful and pure. Now help me to understand how I get from that to understanding this predicament, this perplexing situation in which you have now placed me. So we can then begin to move from what we know about God to what we do not yet understand. One or two of our older hymns reflect this idea of how we can move from the known to the unknown. I cannot tell but this I know, we sometimes sing. I, uh, uh, I, uh, I know not how God's wondrous grace to me has been made known, but I know 
whom I have believed. So Habakkuk, in his very disputing, is beginning to confirm what he knows about God and making himself more ready to understand God's sometimes mysterious ways of providence. And so he moves by the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1 of chapter 2, from his questioning, from his listening, from his disputing, to watching, to watching and waiting for some further revelation, for some further insight that will help and instruct and reassure and calm his shattered nerves. And so he says, chapter 2 and verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, what answer I am uh, to give to this complaint. He's a prophet. He's supposed to have a message for the people. And at the moment, he doesn't know what he can say to them. But he's going to watch and wait. I will go up, he says, to a place from which I can see the bigger picture, from which I can take the longer view. So there's more to come from this troubled, but this searching and questioning prophet. We'll be looking next week at the joy he discovers, even when he can see no obvious reason for rejoicing in the world around him. And the week after that, in two weeks' time, we'll explore the life of faith, of which this joy is the outcome. But for the moment... As we gather in a few moments' time around uh, the Lord's table, let us fix our eyes on one who is greater than Habakkuk, but one who in his hour of great anguish also cried out, why? One who, as we read in Hebrews in chapter 5, one who during the, the days of his life on earth offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Let us thank God that for Habakkuk, for Christ himself, for our suffering brothers and sisters around the world, and for us ourselves, there is set before us a life not only of questioning and listening and disputing and waiting and watching, but a life also of trust in God and of joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let us pray. Our gracious God, meet with us in your word and by your spirit in our questions, our doubts, our fears and anxieties. And give us a heart, as Habakkuk had, for our nation and for our troubled world. And teach us what it means to have faith in you, come what may, and to rejoice in God our Saviour. Amen.